hello, and welcome to another edition of the Regarding ID podcast. I'm Gina Jordan. Toronto-based SecureKey Technologies announced last month that it's working on a new digital identity and attribute sharing network with IBM that is based on blockchain. Consumers will soon be able to use the network to verify their identity for banking services, obtaining a driver's license, and much more. I've been making the case for about uh, 10 years now that we need to make a change in digital identity. And so uh, that's the role I play. It's been talking about the change that needs to happen and how it needs to happen and how SecureKey is solving this problem of digital identity online. Andre Boyson is Chief Identity Officer at SecureKey, an identity and authentication provider. The company works to make identity and access easier for consumers and more trustworthy for businesses while improving privacy and lowering costs. We got started in this business uh, with the government of Canada. They wanted to make it easier for Canadians to get access to services online. And so they were looking for some method to make it easier for consumers to show up every year and access tax information or benefits or health information. And they put out an RFP in 2012 looking for a delegated authentication service. And uh, that's really how we got started in this industry. The company had a vision of consumers using the secure login credentials from their bank accounts to also access government services. That's how SecureKey Concierge Service was born five years ago. We had zero users in 2012, and today we have roughly 7.5 million people using our service. And it's been very successful. Canadians have come to the service with little to no advertising, so they kind of saw the service when they went to government and said, yeah, I want to get in that way. And for government, it's also been transformational as well. They've got more users using online transactions now in government, and uh, the number of transactions has increased, and government's cost has gone down. Their business assurance, their belief that uh, Gina is Gina has actually gone up. So uh, we're quite pleased with that result. And so what we want to do now is uh, build on the success of this access network we've built with the government of Canada and make it more uh, broad-based, so take it to other sectors of government and healthcare and private sector use cases too. And then we want to take it further and add identity to it. That's where SecureKey plans to implement blockchain because, as Boyson says, the industry is suffering under the current model and crying out for a better solution. Consumers are dealing with too many passwords, and uh, they've become jaundiced to uh, password rules because they know that it's not very secure, and uh, there's just too many. Large organizations that have to issue user IDs and passwords are struggling, too. Uh, The most recent large story on this area is what happened with Yahoo with a billion accounts being compromised. Passwords everywhere is not the answer, and so our model is kind of saying there's got to be a better way, and our insight and discipline in this is really trying to copy the credit card model into identity and access. And so when you think about credit cards, I don't have one credit card for every merchant I go to. I have one or two credit cards and I use those credit cards everywhere. And that model has been very, very successful for payments. And our goal is to use the same kind of thinking and applying it to identity and access. Boysen sees some interesting applications for identity and the use of blockchain. Take Concierge, for example, a service created for privacy and access. When people first heard this idea that they were going to use bank accounts to get to government, there were concerns that maybe, you know, this isn't a good idea because the bank and the government are going to create a big super profile on the user. The user is not going to get to see the data. And so we recognized this was going to be a concern with this type of network. So we invented this triple blind privacy protocol to solve that problem. And so when I use my bank account to get to government, the bank doesn't actually get to see my online destination, whether it was the federal government, the province, the city, or a healthcare destination or private sector. The government doesn't get to see which bank I came from. They'll know it came from a a bank in Canada, but they won't know which bank. And SecureKey, who operates the network, we don't know who you are. 
And so what that says is none of the transaction participants got a complete picture of the user journey. SecureKey is now working with the Digital Identity and Authentication Council of Canada and IBM to develop a digital ID network using blockchain technology. Boyson says the bank saw SecureKey's success with concierge and wanted to take the concept further to benefit their customers and accommodate their own identity needs. In October, all the large banks in Canada invested $27 million into SecureKey to help us launch its identity network later this year. And it'll involve several of the large telcos. And we expect several public sector organizations to be part of our launch when we come out at the end of the year. So that will be things like making it easy for you to sign up for a new provincial service, uh, to access your healthcare information, and, and use cases like that. And then we also believe there'll be good private sector use cases. Like if you want to rent a new apartment, it should be easy for you to prove that the Gina is Gina and here's your credit score. And so you can sign the transaction when you show up for the lease. That's going to be easier for you as a consumer when you want to rent. And it's also better for the landlord because they typically pay anywhere between a half a month and two months rent today to get a tenant in. And so it takes all this information gathering out and vetting the information. All that friction comes out of the equation. It's an innovation that has been a long time in coming. Let's compare the Internet to payment networks for a moment. I have 130 passwords in my life and all of them have these long, crazy, complex password rules. And, you know, we, we see password breach after breach week after week in the newspaper. And my payment card, which has access to all my money, only has a four-digit PIN. And yet we're not reading stories in the newspaper about breaches in the payment networks. Why is that? One is they have a very simple payment ritual. The way you pay for things, for debit and credit, for all the payment brands across the world is always the same. And the other good thing is that we don't have passwords in really in the credit card network. We have a PIN, which is very short. And the reason that they're able to do that is they've hidden all the complexity away from the user and they stuck it in the card users don't have to understand how the payment network works. They just have to have the card. And so what keeps the global payment system safe is the fact that user possesses a card that can't be altered and that there's only a four-digit PIN that goes with it to use the card. You've got to know the four-digit PIN. And the third most important thing that keeps the global payment system safe is the user behavior. When Gina loses her credit card, she will go right now to tell the credit card network she lost the credit card. She's going to do that because she's worried about having to pay for all the things the crook is going to buy. This user behavior is really key in understanding why payment networks are so successful. And so what we want to do is apply that same thinking and methodology to identity and access. And that's what our, our network is going to be about. We're going to have a mobile phone that's part of the equation. And what's cool about the mobile phone is like a, a payment card has a SIM card inside. So that SIM card is unique. And Gina, when she loses her cell phone, is actually going to call up the carrier and say, I lost my cell phone. When the SIM is disabled, the crook can't do anything with it. The other thing you'll do is you'll do the remote wipe on the phone. Both Apple and Android support remote wipe. And so the crook who found the phone now can't do anything with it. And so if we can pair the phone then with something you know, like your bank account, well, then that, that gets to be quite strong. What we're going to do is copy what works in payment networks and apply it to identity and access. So it makes it real easy for Gina to prove who she is and at the same time make it very hard for a, a crook to pretend to be Gina. Boyson expects consumers to dive in when the new network is launched. The bigger challenge will be getting Internet sites to join in. He says businesses must get out of the user ID and password routine and start accepting strong credentials that users already possess. Back in the 1950s, we didn't have a credit card network. And so we always had this trust issue. I, I went to a store and I wanted to buy something and maybe I didn't have cash. I wanted them to take my check and they wouldn't take my check because they didn't know who I was. And so when the credit card network came along, this solved problems from both sides. For the consumer, it meant that, that I didn't have to I get a line of credit every store I wanted to go to. 
And uh, it was also easier for me to get the thing I wanted today. And the merchant knew that they were going to get paid. And so where we are today is we're going to do the same thing for identity and access. Now, when I can show up with a trustworthy ID where I can have my bank and my telco and my credit bureau standing behind me along with the state with my driver's license, if I can gather those claims up as a user, now I'm enabled to go get the services I want online because I can show strong, trustworthy identity from the relationships I have in my life already. And it's going to be much easier for me and more trustworthy for that business. If consumers like it, fraudsters won't. Boyson says blockchain will be embedded in the new network's identity solution, and crooks will have a very hard time mounting attacks that scale with a model like this. There won't be any more copying of information and altering it or photoshopping documents. There's a lot of hype around blockchain, and the hype is really owed to the potential that it offers, and so that, I think, is positive. But there's still a lot of noise, and what's not clear yet is what's hype and what's helpful. I think we've got a very credible proposition here, and that's been backed by the banks investing in what we're doing and also the recent net with IBM. IBM wants to work with us and Hyperledger to take what we've done in Canada and bring it around the world. So I think there are clear and compelling use cases for blockchain that are starting to emerge, but there's also still a lot of noise. The thing blockchain was originally designed for was to solve the double spend problem. So if we're going to have digital money, when Gina gives Andre $10, then Andre has the $10 and it shouldn't be possible for Gina to spend the $10 again. And so what's cool is this double spend problem also applies to identity. And what blockchain is going to help us solve is it's going to make it easy for Gina to show she's Gina, but it's going to be hard for Andre to do it because he's not going to have the ability to masquerade and copy Gina's bits to pretend to be Gina. And so that's why blockchain is so important for this identity problem that we've been talking about. The concept of how blockchain does this is the topic of the second part of our conversation. In part two, SecureKey's Andre Boyson delves into how blockchain works to solve digital identity. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Regarding ID podcast.